Yes. 22. <laughs> Sorry, 22. <two. coughs> 22. 22. Revelation 22, the last chapter in your Bible, if you want to look at it that way. So I want to do a quick review because last week we, we talked about something a little different than this week. Last week we talked about the intermediate state. And with the intermediate state, uh, what is it? We wanted to talk specifically what it is. And so when we think about the intermediate state, um, we think that it is a place where Scripture teaches it's a place where a believer will go after their death. So when, when a person physically dies, their spirit, their soul is rend, it's, it's split, it's torn from their physical body, and their body stays present in the grave, and their spirit goes immediately to the intermediate state, which is, which is heaven. And it's heaven, but the way I've been describing it, it's the lowercase heaven because scripture shows clearly that there's, there's the intermediate state, which is oftentimes called heaven. It's sometimes called paradise. It's sometimes called the intermediate heaven or the present heaven. There's lots of different terms for it or synonyms for it, but it's the place where believers go when they die. And there's a lot of misconceptions as well about what it is. And so we took some time and defined what it is not. And a few things, what the intermediate state is not, it's not our eternal home. It's not the place that we're going to talk about this morning, which is our eternal home, which sometimes is described as the new heaven and the new earth. The intermediate state is not our, our eternal home. Home. It's also not the place where our souls will go to sleep. Um, we see clearly in Scripture that when Jesus is on the cross next to the thief, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul says it's far better to be departed from the body and present with the Lord. He's not talking about um, at some point down the road. He's talking about that at that moment. So it's not a place where our souls go to sleep. And then most importantly, it's not a place of purification, a lot of times the, the uh, doctrine of the intermediate state is confused with what would be a Catholic teaching of purgatory. And the problem with that teaching is that there's this idea that when you die physically, that you, you go to this holding place to be purified where some of your sins can be prayed out of you by some people that are still alive or, or they can be um, somehow further cleansed <clears throat> and and there's nothing in scripture that, that points to that. Romans 10.9 says that when a person confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and they believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead, they will be saved. They will be. So Hebrews 10.10 says it very clearly that Christ Jesus died for sinners once for all. Once for all. There's no additional work that can be done in a holding place, uh, a place of purification because Christ is all sufficient and there's nothing in addition to what Christ does his blood shed atoned for us and so it's not a place of purification we also talked about it it's a really a place of transition it's a place of it's temporary place that's the intermediate state the intermediate heaven the present heaven the paradise so that was last week Today, we're, we're stepping in and we're, we're talking about what we will do in heaven. And it's the capital H heaven. It's the, the heaven uh, that scripture speaks about as far as the new heaven and the new earth, what the Bible describes there. Now, oftentimes when people think of heaven, they have a lot of misconceptions of what 
the eternal heaven might be. And one of the big things is that some people think when they really meditate on it, like maybe heaven is going to be a little bit monotonous. Maybe it's going to be like that movie Groundhog's Day where it's just the same day over and over again. I tried to get a clip to show you guys the clip, but I just couldn't find any that were appropriate enough. And (laughs) ain't nobody got time to do a bunch of video editing. So um, it's kind of like that, this, this idea of this, the same day over and over, and it's a bit monotonous. But when we look at this, we get from the outset that heaven, heaven is just not like that. It's not the same day over and over and over again. Heaven will be the most exciting, fulfilling, exhilarating, awesome place that I would say that we could ever imagine, but Paul says it's beyond our imagination how great it is. It's, it's far beyond the best things that we could ever imagine. So, so we're going to jump right in. Revelation chapter 22, look here at verse 1 and following, and it says this. And he showed me a river. This is John talking. He says, and he showed me a river of the water of life. It's clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on the other side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing, for the health giving of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the lamp, of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful, these words are true. So today we're going to start, wade our way into the topic of heaven where we will spend eternity forever. And we're going to today look at three overarching aspects of heaven. And I want to say that I'm hoping that as we talk about these three things, it's only going to bring about, I don't know why I have a cough, but (coughs) uh, it's only going to bring about more questions. And that's okay. As a matter of fact, many of you have been emailing me questions And I just encourage you to continue to do that because I'm compiling these questions. And it's my goal that by the time we're done with the series, all of those questions will be be answered or at least addressed. (laughs) Some of them, well, some of them I still can't quite answer all all perfectly. But but maybe by the end of this study, we we, we will, we'll be able to answer some of those things. So so first, what are we going to do? What will we be doing in heaven? Um, The first thing we see here is that we will work for the Lord. So we're going to work for the Lord. Now that doesn't, what does it mean specifically? Oh, thanks, honey. Thank you. So we're going to work for the Lord. Um, we're going to serve him. Uh, and, and so that means we're going to, to work for him. Basically, we're going to have, in eternity, we're going to have a, a, a job assignment with him um, uh, somewhat of a case, we're going to have a special service. Just like if we just take, for example, as kind of a small study here at church, hopefully all of you have a ministry. If you don't, 
you need to find a ministry within the church that you, in a way that you can serve. But those of you who work in Sunday school, children's Sunday school, and the jam, that's your special service. There's the nursery special service. There's, there's um, greeting special service. There's preaching. There's worship leading. Uh, there's all kinds of, there's coffee. Very important. Very important part. Thank you, Vicki, this morning. Coffee is great. So there's, there's all of these different areas of service that we have here. And, um, and I hope that in those areas of service, that those are areas where you find great joy because you're, you're playing a part in what it takes to come together to worship as a family. Uh, all of these parts fit together. They're all equally important, but they're not all equally um, as visible. But we're going to have these opportunities to serve within the church or within, within heaven. Now, some of you might be saying, I didn't think there's going to be bad words in heaven. Because for some of you, work is a four-letter word. It's a bad word. And that makes, that makes sense. I understand that. I get, I get that. Uh, but what we have to understand very clearly is that, that work is truly a good thing. It is a, it's an incredibly good thing. And we know it's a good thing. Um, because of what we see here in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 2, it says this, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So why this tells us it's a good thing is that Genesis 2 is before the curse. This is before sin entered the world. And yet God gave Adam and Eve a job to do, to care for the garden, that was their job. They were to, to cultivate it. He didn't say to Adam, here, Adam, here's um, the garden. Here's a lounge chair. Here's your harp. And here's a white toga. Just sit here and strum this thing all day. No, he says, you know, get in and, and work the garden. But the work that he gives us um, is, is something that is very, very good. Now, when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, um, Chapter 3, that the consequences of that was the curse. Some would say that sweat, the sweat, the toil, the labor that we have to do with now, it says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So where before taking care of ourselves, working, cultivating the ground, giving us physical sustenance, that place, that time, it, it was joyful, it wasn't toilsome, it wasn't difficult, um, and now because of the curse, it, it is. We're going to do an entire sermon on just what it's going to look like with the curse removed, so we'll talk more about this down the road, but, but um, any, anyway, it wasn't so easy to cultivate the soil once curse entered in, but, but work at its, at its core, as God designed it, is not a, a bad thing. It's actually a, a good thing. And, and more important than it being a, a good thing, work, work is a God thing. It's a good thing, yes, but it's more importantly, it's a God thing. And we see that all throughout Scripture, that God is himself a worker. John 5, 17, my father, Jesus talking, my father is working until now, and I myself am Working, So God works. You read about God working in the opening pages of your Bible. We're at the last page of our Bible. You go to the first page and you see in Genesis 1, God creating the, the, the heavens and the earth. He does this in six days, right? And then the seventh day, he rests. God worked to create. He worked to um, restore or to, to make things new. Um, and not only that, not only God worked then, but God is working still today. And he's working today in your heart and my heart and in the hearts of other people. He's drawing 
through his grace, people to himself. He is, he is still at work today in, in uh, hearts and people. So, so God is a worker and work is a God thing as well as it is, it is a good thing. And, and we can be honest with one another. There are some very difficult jobs out there. Some of you have those, those jobs. You've, I'm sure, seen the, the show or heard about it, Dirty Jobs. Yes, with Mike Rowe. Um, here's a quick sampling of just some of the dirty jobs from that show. Um, one, a pig farmer. Dirty job. Sewer inspector. Dirty job. Hot tar roofer. Dirty job. Uh, middle school youth worker. Dirty job. <laughs> I added that one, but um, <laughs> um, this last one's good. A deodorant sniffer. Dirty job. I can't believe that's an actual job, but I guess it is. Um, so, so you might say, are we going to do those things in, in, in heaven? I, I would say not all of those things will we, we do in, in heaven, but we, we, we don't know the specific jobs. We can kind of guess that maybe some of those jobs will do that at a later time. Um, but regardless of whatever jobs that we have in heaven, the work in which God gives us as, as we reign and we rule with him, whatever the case might be, it is our dream job. It is the job in which we will find the most pleasure in and the most joy in because it's not tainted with and we're not tainted with the curse. It's a beautiful thing. The, the fact that we get to work for the Lord and serve him, it's a beautiful thing. We're going to reign forever and ever. Verse 5 of chapter 22, we shall reign forever and ever. And, and that itself, just by itself, that is a good job just to reign forever and ever. Because if we think about it, if, if God is the king and we are, prince, we are his children, we're like princes and princesses. So we are going to be princes and princesses uh, in the universe that God has created, the new heaven and the new earth, and all of the planets that go around that. And is, is, is there, it's going to be exciting and joyous work for each one of us. So, so really, as we look here, the, the first thing that we're going we're gonna to do when we get to heaven is we're going to work. But that work is going to be beautiful. That work is going to be joyful and joyous for us. Because work is a good thing and work comes from God and it's a, it's a God thing. Before I go on to the next point... I want to ask a question, and I'm going to do this with each one of the points here to kind of try to, we're talking about heaven, we don't want to keep our heads too stuck in the clouds, we want to see how they relate to us here today, but I want to ask us the question, um, would you be employable in heaven based upon your work experience here on earth? Would you be employable in heaven based upon your work experience here on earth? Please don't send me an email about works-based salvation. I'm not talking about our salvation. I'm not, we know, we've hopefully covered that. Christ paid the price, we're in heaven. But I'm just wanting to ask, ask a real practical question about our, our, our world here. We're in the process, uh, the elders and I have been in this process of reviewing um, youth pastors, an associate pastor for the church. And we've looked at many, many, many candidates. Um, and you can pray for us this week. We're, we're going to talk kind of a, not a first interview, but a, are we going to continue on with, these, with two people this week? And um, it's exciting to do this, but it's been interesting in this process of, of getting all of these resumes in and then calling these, these people back, these guys back, and um, just to see that it's like they don't get it very well. Like I, had, I set up a phone interview with one fella. He called me 28 minutes late. And I know it was 28 minutes late because I was annoyed because I set my schedule. I needed him to call me at this time, and he called me at 11.28 rather than 11. And it drove me crazy. And then halfway through our phone appointment, he, got, he had to cut me off and go do something else. Well, okay, that's fine. Nice guy, but there's no way he's going he's gonna to make it to the next round because he just doesn't have much 
of much of a, a work ethic in that, in that sense. But when I think about just this idea of would we be employable in heaven based upon our work experience here, I have this personal opinion that followers of Jesus, Christians, you and me, we should be the best workers in our workplace. Whatever that looks like for you. Um, maybe you're not the most gifted, most skilled. That's most of the jobs I've worked outside of the church, inside of the church too. Um, I'm not the most skilled, but I wanna be the hardest worker um, I want to show up early or, or certainly on time, but early. And, and I want to have, more importantly than that, I want to have an attitude that reflects the Jesus that I love, that reflects the character of Christ, and so, that, so that the people in which I work with, which really is my mission field, that those people are, are at least asking the question, like, there's something different there. There's something going on with Bill, going on with any of you. And, and so when we think about our jobs here on earth, um, are, are we the type of person in which reflects the kingdom of heaven, reflects well on the body of Christ? And, and that I want to say, I talk about work. Not all of us are working here. Some of us are retired. I'm jealous of that. Some of us are retired. Some of you are retired. The same thing goes there. Um, we still have opportunities to serve and to work when we're, when we're retired. Some of you are retired and you're more busy than you were when you worked. But regardless, or would we be employable in heaven based upon the way that we go about our business here on earth? I hope so. We, Julie and I went on a date this week and we were going down. We had to swing by the Salvation Army drop-off box. And um, it was so cool because as we, dropped, we stopped in there... Um, the guy that, that came to meet us that worked for Salvation Army, um, it was immediate. He, he was almost trying to witness to us right from the beginning and then realized that we're pastors up here and we had this great conversation. But, but I'll tell you, just the way that he went about his work, um, he, he was a testimony to Christ. And I could see it in him before he had any idea that I was looking for that kind of thing in people. So it was just, it was just neat, just neat to bump into people like that, that, you know what, they take their work seriously for, for the Lord, whether they work in ministry or not. So the first thing, work, service, it's something that we're going to do in heaven, and it's going to be a great, good God thing. Secondly, um, secondly oh, here, here's John 4.34. It says, my food is do the will of him who sent me to accomplish this, John 4, 34. So we're going to work for the Lord. Um, there's that question. Secondly, we'll rest in the Lord. We're going to rest in the Lord. Look at Revelation uh, chapter 14. It says, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed. For they will rest from their hard work, from their painful labor, for their good deeds will follow them. We will have rest in heaven. It won't look like the rest here on earth. We read earlier in our passage in Revelation 22, there's going to be no night in heaven. So if we will sleep in heaven, we know that we're going to be able to sleep with the lights on because the lights will always be on. But, but it will be at its core a, a restful place, a soul rest place. This isn't talking about heaven, but it's talking about heaven on earth with Christ's ministry Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come all, come to me, all you who are weary, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Our, our Lord takes very seriously, and He's interested in rest for us, His His kids, His children. It's important to Him, and we know it's important to Him because He's it's built into the Old Testament top ten list. 
It's in the Ten Commandments, the idea of rest. And he talks about it when he talks about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep the Sabbath day holy. It's the fourth commandment, and the Lord talks about this often. Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. It says, six days you shall labor and do your work, but on the seventh day is Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall not do any work. And he goes on to say, in it you shall rest. And what's interesting about the Sabbath uh, is that... Um, it's obviously an important place because God puts this, important, and this importance on it, but um, it gets more, more text than any of the other Ten Commandments. So, for example, we, we pretty much know murder is a bad thing. Can we all just say that? We agree with that? Okay, bad thing. Um, any guess how many letters or how many words it took to describe that? Four. Thou shall not murder um, when it comes to adultery. There's five words. You shall not commit adultery. I can't do my fingers and talk at the same time, so forgive me. <laughs> um, stealing. There's four. You shall not steal. How many words do you use to talk about the Sabbath? Any idea? 98. 98 words to, to talk about the Sabbath and the Sabbath day and the Sabbath rest. Our, our Seventh-day Adventist brothers and sisters, they get this one really good. They get this one really good. This idea of having the Sabbath and keeping it holy. We disagree on the time of, of which it's held, but boy, they get this idea and they keep this idea very serious. Um, so as we look at this, we talk about rest. I think there is a, a lie in our culture today, and it is this. It's that, that oftentimes rest is a sign of weakness, and we see that as a, as a sign of weakness. Um, but it's not the case at all. Rest really falls into the natural order of things in which the way God made the fabric of our world. And when you think about it, if God, he created the heavens and the earth those six days and then he rested on the seventh day, it's not because he was tired, but he was trying to instill in us this idea of rest and how important it is. Because resting is, is, is the healthy thing for his children to do. It's the right thing. It's the way in which he designed it. And if we think again, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, and we think about the Ten Commandments, we don't, we don't act so flippantly about nine of the Ten Commandments. I mean, for the most part, if we were to take the attitude that we have about the, the fourth commandment of, of, of resting, because let's be honest, so many people don't see this as a, a real high value. In our culture, we think of working ourselves to the bone is, is what's, most, what's most important. Uh, but we don't say, for example, you know what? Um, I have some needs, so I'm gonna head over to the trading post and I'm just gonna you know, take stuff. Or I'm going to go into town and I'm going to steal something. We don't have that, that concept in our mind when it comes to murder. We have a problem with somebody. We don't normally think, hopefully, we don't think, um, I'm just going to go take, take that person out. Of course we don't think that. But when it comes to the idea that we're, we're stressed beyond all recognition, we're tired, um, we think, well, I'll just, I'll just keep going. I'll just kind of work, work through it. We, we don't take the, the Sabbath and the rest that God calls us to as seriously and, uh, and I think that's something that we need to get a better, a better grip on because resting is the right thing for us to do. And, and probably more important when we talk about this issue of rest, and I believe this is tied into why God created it because he knows that we are going to want to accomplish things. But, but on that last day, on that restful day, when we, when we stop and we take a break, um, that is a sign that we are willing to walk by faith. 
Resting is a sign of walking by faith. When we cease our doing and we say, God, all of what I'm about and all of what is provided to me really comes from you. I don't need to work myself to the bone. I trust you. I'm going to rest. I'm, I trust you that you design me to rest and to rely and to trust upon you. And, and the question that this leads us to is, is do, do we and do you specifically, and this is the next question, do you trust do you trust that God has got everything taken care of? Last week we talked about Matthew chapter 6. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And all of these other things, they're going to be added to you. All of those other things are going to be added to you. So do we trust God? Do we really trust him? Or is that difficult? Is it difficult when, when uh, you are consumed by the, 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 the nonstop pace and the clock of this world? Uh, trying to solve all of your own problems. And so the question I ask is, is does, does my lack of faith, does my lack of faith, does my lack of rest point to a lack of faith? Do, do I really believe that, that God has, has got these things taken care of? When you lay in bed at night, is your mind spinning so much that you can't get good rest? Um, is that a circumstance that you've somehow justified in your own mind? As God's children here on this earth, we are called to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, to present our request to God. And when we do that, he gives us peace. And that peace surpasses all understanding, meaning it doesn't make any sense, but God says to do it, I'm going to do it, and he's going to give me a, a peace because of that. So does my lack of rest point to a lack of faith? And, and if it does, um, if it does, then, then we need to we need to take that to him, ask him to take away that angst in our lives, to, to, to work in that relationship so that it doesn't, doesn't hijack all of our energy and all of our, our service and our work in this life because we're so caught up in this other scenario specifically. So we, we see these two things here. In heaven, we're going, to, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to work for the Lord, and that's a good thing. And we're also going to rest in the Lord. Third and... and uh, Third here is we will enjoy him. We will enjoy him. Psalm 1611, in your presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. Is fullness of joy. Psalm 63.1, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul it thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land like we've had the last three weeks. Where there is no water. We can imagine a thousand different things, but truly, we could, we could imagine, we could desire, we could want a thousand different things, but at the core, what we really want, what we really want is God. His presence is the, what brings satisfaction in our lives. His absence in our lives brings thirst. His absence in our lives brings unrest. So our longing for heaven is a longing truly. It's a longing for God. It's a longing for him because it's where he's at. That's where fullness of joy comes from. And it's a longing that involves not only our souls, but it's a longing that involves our, our bodies as well. We've talked about Randy Alcorn. He says it like this. He says, being with God is the heart and the soul of heaven. Every other heavenly pleasure will derive from and be secondary to his presence. 
God's greatest gift to us and always will be himself. David says this. This is one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate on his temple. David was a guy that was absolutely preoccupied with God and his person. God and his person as well as God and his place. He longed to be where God was. In his day, that was the temple. He longed to be there and to gaze upon his beauty, to see God's face truly is. And he got this. To see God's face was to see God's beauty, to behold his beauty. It's the source of all lesser beauties. So in heaven, the barriers that we currently have as redeemed human beings all of those barriers are going to be for, forever gone. To look in God's eyes, to look in God's eyes will be to see what we've always, always, always wanted to see. The person who made us for his own good pleasure, we will be able to see. Seeing God will be like seeing everything else for the very first time. Everything else when we see God as he is meant to be seen. And why is this? Because not only will we see God but we're going to see through the lenses of God's eyes through which everything else matters. We will see people through God's eyes. We will see ourselves through God's eyes. We will see events through God's eyes. It's a little side note here, but I'm working through this book right now that is, is entitled God is, if, God, if God is Great is the title of the book. And it really deals with the subject of one main subject. It deals with the subject is, if God is a loving, good God, then why do bad things happen to good people? Or why does evil exist? And it's a big, thick book that just addresses this question, and it sits next to a whole bookshelf of other books that try to address that question. I'm not going to address the question other than through this point, is that when we see things through God's lenses and through God's eyes, all of those questions dissolve. Because he's the only one that can know and answer any of those questions. So our primary joy, our primary joy in heaven will be knowing and seeing God. Knowing and seeing him. There's nothing greater than that. What's life on earth all about? It's all about that. That they, Jesus says, oh, it's there in that, in that text. He says that in John 17, 3. What is eternal life about? And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, 3. Every single other joy in life and beyond, every other joy um, is going to pale in comparison to knowing and seeing God. It flows from, from that relationship with him. We talked about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards said, God himself is the, good, the greatest good. He is the highest good. He is the sum of all good that Christ purchased. The redeemed will indeed enjoy other things, but that joy will be a derivative of the joy which is God himself. Asaph in Psalms, Psalm 73 says this. He says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? 
And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is my strength of heart and my portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. And when you read that, it sounds very much like an overstatement. There's nothing I desire um, except you, Lord. But this, this man here he desires nothing on this earth but God. No, he's affirming. He's affirming what we're talking about. He's affirming that the very central desires of our hearts, the very core of our hearts, is God himself. That's what we really are seeking after. And there's no doubt that we desire many other things, but desiring them, in desiring them, we're really truly just desiring God and, and, and the knowledge of him and the ability to see him in his face. Now, we have this life and in this life um, on earth, we are going to most likely struggle with taking the good gifts of God and turning them into idols. It's part of the curse. It's, it's part of our flesh. So how do we handle the things in this life that we enjoy, that we desire, that are gifts from God? Primarily, we handle those things by recognizing that they're gifts from God. They're gifts from God that he desires for us to enjoy. James says in 117, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Every secondary joy is just that. It's second, secondary. They can be separated from, they cannot be separated from God. So you take anything in this life you enjoy. Flowers, they're beautiful. Why? Because God is beautiful. A waterfall is spectacular. Why? Because God is spectacular. Some won't agree with me on this one, but I'm fine. I'll disagree. You can disagree with me. Um, softball is fun. Why? A lot of reasons. It's fun because God is fun. Uh, it's fun because I see people, instead of reacting to a, a bad call from an umpire with a bad attitude, being gracious. Why? God's gracious. Showing patience when they strike out. Why? Because God's patient. There's all of these things that we have in life that are, are joys, that are gifts, but they're gifts because of the character and the nature of God in which we only see today in part, but one day we'll see in full. Our God gives extravagant gifts to us. Listen as I read Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Our God, who gave us his son, he gave us his son and graciously gives us all things. That all things comes after Christ. It's an addition to Christ, but never instead of him. The closing challenge here is this, that we know that while we wait for heaven, we're in this process. But if you look at each of these three main points here, work and service, um, rest as well as enjoyment. Why not give ourselves to, to exercise these things today in this life? Working as if there's no curse, working for, working for the Lord, working with a good attitude and a good heart. Learning to turn the clock off, or for some of you, it's turning the phone off for a day setting things down and resting, and learning to enjoy all things as, as good and perfect gifts that have come down from God above. And this is very, very practical. My life, I can enjoy my son 
And it's a joy that comes from God because we sit down and we can have a conversation together. And as we're talking, it's a joy because it's a gift. He's a gift from God. My daughter, who right now is acting as my personal trainer, and she's, she's a good one. She's rough. She's a rough trainer. Uh, but sitting down and, and working out with her uh, is, is a gift from God and enjoying that and seeing that for what it is. Same thing with my smallest daughter, swimming with him, laughing, listening to her, seeing them grow. These are gifts from God. God gave me these gifts. I should fully enjoy these gifts. When I give my kids a gift, I certainly want my kids to enjoy them. I don't want them to to put them in a closet and not do anything with them. I want them to enjoy them, to, to use them, not abuse them, and certainly that happens Things can get abused. We're not talking about that. But enjoying them. These are gifts in which God has given us and we're called to enjoy them. And why not do that? It's a great gift that we have. And it just practices what we're going to be doing for eternity, which is enjoying the Lord. Being the fullness of his presence. The fullness of joy comes when we're with him. Because all eternity, all of eternal life comes down to knowing and seeing God. That's what's most important. And why not give ourselves fully to that this very day? What a great opportunity it is. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. We'll close in prayer and a song. Father, it's intimidating to talk about something that Scripture tells us that we can't really even fully imagine or grasp. But I pray as we talk through our eternal place, our, our place with you, our place forever, Uh, that you would just only increase our wonder, our excitement. Uh, I pray that you would protect us from the things of this life that want want to corrupt our view of, of work, of rest, of pleasure. Forgive us for the, the times we've taken the good gifts that you've given us and we've made them into idols. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We want so desperately to to be um, in a place like David where we just long to be in your presence all the time. Uh, Like Asaph, who who saw no other pleasure of this life as anything but pointing us to the deepest pleasure, which is you. And uh, we 